welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. Online, I have Bruce Gagnon. He is the coordinator of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. He was co-founder of the Global Network when it was created in 1992. He writes for a blog called Organizing Notes. And I would say he's been a lifelong labor and peace activist, and he's always been consistent in his principles towards peace and a more calm and humane world. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Thank you very much, Stuart. Glad to be with you. Now, recently I was speaking with a few people about the Ukraine conflict, and I'm still floored at the level of gaps in their knowledge, or I could say ignorance in their knowledge. Could you fill us in just on some background details of how we got to this point, uh, why Russia invaded? I'm not saying it's a big justification. I'm just saying, how did this war happen? Uh, It didn't just appear out of nowhere. Well, all the way back to 2008, Uh, people can find the speech, Putin's speech, to the Munich Security Conference in 2008. He was pleading with the West for security guarantees. Uh, You know, NATO uh, was expanding continuously since the Clinton administration. Clinton called it NATO enhancement. At the same time, you know, uh, Gorbachev had been promised at the collapse at the time of the collapse of the former Soviet Union that NATO would not expand one inch towards Russia. But then Clinton, again, uh, broke that promise. And then at the same time, NATO war games right up onto the Russian border were increasing uh, as NATO was expanding. And then the U.S. deployed missile launch facilities in Romania and Poland a couple of years ago that can fire first-strike attack nuclear-capable cruise missiles, essentially a Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse, except this time, in this Cuban Missile Crisis, the American people don't know anything about it. So Putin, again, all the way back to 2008, was pleading for security guarantees, cooperation, let's discuss this stuff, and sitting in the front row, listening to him, smirking at him, were John McCain, the former senator from uh, Connecticut uh, who was vice president one time. I'm blanking on his name right now. But anyway, uh, he was was there. Bill Gates, Secretary of Defense, they were all laughing at him. So, you know, obviously he came away from that meeting with nothing. And then in 2014, late 2013, early 2014, during the Obama administration, the U.S. orchestrated a coup d'etat in Kiev that was muscled through in the streets in the famous Maidan so-called revolution. It was a color revolution that threw out President Yanukovych, a elected official, elected president, uh, who was trying to balance between Russia and pressure from the European Union to reject Russia and go with Europe in terms of economics and uh, foreign policy and everything else. So he was pushed out of power, backed up by the, by, in the streets by the Nazis, who were absolutely present, violent. Everybody knew about it. I was watching this whole scene on, in real time on YouTube. 
And then soon after, in 2014, one of the first things the new government did, imposed by the U.S., uh, was to declare the speaking of Russian in Ukraine illegal. Well, half the country speaks Russian, particularly the part of the country in eastern Ukraine, right along the Russian border. The Nazis predominate more on the western side of the country, near the Polish border. And so the people of the eastern of eastern Ukraine, the Russian ethnics, they began holding peaceful protests, gathering referendum signatures, saying we want a federated Ukraine. A lot of people say they were Russian uh, separatists, but that it wasn't true. They they were calling for a federated Ukraine. We just want local autonomy within Ukraine. We want to be able to speak our own language. We want to be able to elect our own local officials rather than have them appointed by by Kiev, by the new government, the new right-wing government, the new U.S.-controlled government. What happened then was the U.S. was training and arming and directing and funding these Nazis and the Ukrainian military and bases in western Ukraine. I know this because one of my friends, uh, his son in the U.S. Special Forces at Fort Carson, Colorado, was sent to this base called Kamaletsky twice in western Ukraine to train the, the Ukrainian army. They created a National Guard and brought the Nazis into the National Guard. And then they would send them to eastern Ukraine to attack the Russians, who were marching peacefully in the street, calling for a federated Ukraine. The coal miners, a lot of coal mines in eastern Ukraine, again, right along the Russian border, the miners came out of the mines to defend their families. They were called, again, Russian separatists. They were called Russian forces. They were just local Ukrainian citizens defending their families against these attacks by the Nazis. And again, I'm watching all of that in real time on YouTube. And so that's when the war began in 2014. And so over the next eight years, uh, we saw more than 14,000 Russian ethnics in eastern Ukraine killed by their own country, more than 34,000 wounded. Repeatedly, Putin kept pleading with the West, with Europe, with NATO, with the U.S. to agree to security guarantees, to stop this attacks on the Russian ethnics in eastern Ukraine. He helped lead the formation of the uh, Minsk agreements. Russia was not a party in them. They were just, Russia was helping to negotiate these. But they were agreements between the people in the Donbass, the region of eastern Ukraine that was being attacked, an agreement between them and the uh, Ukrainian federal government that they would, Ukrainian government would pull their military back. They would allow for this federation of Ukraine, local autonomy for local uh, people. Putin was not demanding at that time that these people become Russian, part of Russia, or anything like that. Uh, and then in the last uh, few months, we've heard the uh, presidents, uh, former presidents of Germany, Angela Merkel, the president of uh, France, uh, Hollande, and we've even heard Petro Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine, all say the same thing. We never intended to enact the Minsk agreements. We just used them as time uh, to build up our military so that we could further attack the Donbass. So that's the story, and that's the reality. So eventually, by 2022, 
the slaughter of the Russian ethnics, Ukrainian citizens inside of eastern Ukraine got so great that uh, Putin was really forced to make a move. At the same time, it became clear that they had, in these intervening eight years, the U.S. and NATO had built up the Ukrainian army to a major, major scale with equipping the hell out of them, uh, more than 300,000 troops. And it was clear from information that the Russians were intercepting that they were going to do a full onslaught Mm. against the people of eastern Ukraine. And that's when Russia started the what they called a special military operation. Just one more thing I'd add. On that very same day that Russia began the special military operation, the U.S. and NATO began a, a war game called Cold Response on the Norway-Russian border. And right at that spot, they they began this war game, and it was all about controlling the Arctic. And so I believe one of the key reasons that the United States and NATO are trying to take down Putin, they're trying to do regime change, they're trying to break Russia up into smaller countries, is because of climate change. As we look at the Arctic region, the ice is melting fast, and soon it will be possible to drill baby drill up in that region. Russia has a vast resource base, and for the last 500 years, just about every year, like clockwork, a different European country volunteers to attack Russia to try to break it up. Sweden, France, Germany twice, and now it's the U.S. leading the fight. And so this is the game. Break Russia up, take control of their vast resource base, but blame it all on Putin. This is information that is not in the mainstream narrative. Now, you were inside Ukraine. You had firsthand uh, witness to what's happening in Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about who, who are they fighting? What happened in Odessa in 2014? Because we know Putin is no angel, but also the opposite side is no symbol of goodness either. Well, in 2014, soon after the, the coup, again, remember that I said that people were collecting signatures and having peaceful protests. Well, in the city of Odessa, local people were in a park called Kolokova Field, and right next to the park is the Trades Union Hall. So it's a very big place where a lot of uh, people walk through the park and everything. So it's a good place to what we call table. They set up tents and with tables inside, and they're collecting signatures for referendum. We want a federated Ukraine. We want to be able to speak Russian. And so they were attacked by Nazis, the Azov Battalion, the right sector, they were bussed and uh, sent in on trains from all over the country. Remember what I said that in western Ukraine, near the Poland border, that's where the Nazis predominate. When Hitler swept through in World War II, attacking the Soviet Union, he swept through Ukraine. When he came into western Ukraine, just again along the Poland border, a guy by the name of Stefan Bandera, a Ukrainian nationalist, put on a Nazi uniform, joined Hitler, his followers joined Hitler, and they helped round up and kill tens of thousands of Jews, gypsies, Poles, and Russian ethnics. And so this part of Ukraine has always been about 
Nazis, allied with Nazis. And uh, May 2nd, 2014, they brought in these Nazis from western Ukraine, brought them into Odessa, a, a city on the Black Sea, and they attacked the people that were tabling at the Kolokova field. They then ran, the people ran inside of the trades union hall, shut the door, and uh, then the, the uh, Nazis outside the building uh, were making um, Molotov cocktails, throwing them through the windows. A fire soon started inside the building. The front door was on fire. And the people inside, there were at least 100 of them that were in there. Um, they, their tabling operation, it was a real big thing. It was a big park. They had many of these tents out there where they were tabling. And so they started coming to the windows to get some air because the smoke was getting worse. And there were there are pictures. It's again, I'm watching this almost in real time uh, on May second, 2014, on video and YouTube. A lot of the those videos, you know, YouTube has been cleaning out a lot of this stuff over the years since then. But a lot of it is still available if you look hard enough. If you go to my blog, organizing notes and O T E S. On just on May second, I did a, uh, I did another uh, story about it, so it's easy to find. Anyway, they uh, there are pictures of guys on the ground, Nazis on the ground, shooting at the people coming to the windows for, for air. So, soon the fire got so bad, people started jumping out the window, and when they, it's like three floors, and when they hit the ground, uh, the Nazis with bats were beating them to death, and they killed. Well over 40 people. Uh, there's well over 100 to this very day have never been found. Uh, many people believe they were killed, and God knows what happened to their bodies. Some people were arrested, but they were only the people that were inside the building. And they were then taken to the uh, security bureau, the SBU of the new Ukrainian government, and uh, sort of their version of the FBI and the CIA all in one. And they never uh, were uh, heard from again. Mm -hmm. And so the mothers of these people began a organization, and they began appealing to the world to call for an international investigation. Again, nobody's ever been prosecuted for these crimes, even though there's voluminous uh, video coverage of who was doing what to whom. So in 2016, they the mothers put out a call around the world. Please send people, come uh, p people from around the world, come here. We're going to go to the building. We're going to pray. We're going to have a ceremony. We're going to ask for again for an international investigation. So three of us from the United States went, myself being one of them. We got there. We're having lunch with the mothers in a hotel uh, in just a few minutes. We're then going to be going to the building for this ceremony, this memorial ceremony. Someone came and said, we've got to go now. We hadn't even hardly started eating yet. We've got to jump on the bus and go now because the Nazis, the Azov Battalion, are, are cordoning off the area in front of the trades union hall. We jumped on the bus. We're driving there. Just as we approached the trades union hall, uh, Nazis uh, were throwing rocks at the bus. Uh, we got off, and the entire area around the uh, Kolokova field, the park, and the trades union hall was roped off, and the Azov battalion was standing there with machine guns and would not let 
there was like a thousand people had come to this memorial service led by these mothers. They would not let them go near the building. I saw it. I was there. I experienced it. I've seen the Nazis in real life, in real time. Uh, this is the reality of it. And so every year since then, uh, there's a big effort around the world to remind people about uh, May 2nd, uh, 2014, yeah. this crime. I have to say that, you know, a lot of people don't really understand how much the Russians suffered during World War II at the hands of the Nazis, the, the, the Soviet Union, Soviet citizens, 27 million of them were killed during World War II by the Nazis. So Russians know about the Nazis. They, they got, you don't have to convince them of, of the reality of it. And they're not going there again. They're not going to allow it again. And so when the United States imposes a regime in Kiev in, 20, in 2014, this coup uh, that is backed up by Nazis, Russia is clear about what's happening here. They're clear about it. And they're not going to stand for it. And so they're going to stand up against it. And if they have to do it alone, they're going to do it. That's the story. You know, the mainstream narrative, Bruce, some crimes are very visible. Other crimes are invisible. And uh, this is not something that's talked about at all in the mainstream media. We never talk about Yemen. We never talk about Palestine. But uh, these independent voices are speaking up. And it is absolutely horrific. Since this invasion started... Thousands of innocent Ukrainians have been killed. Thousands of Russians are dying. The West can't send enough money and weapons into Ukraine despite their domestic needs, which are huge. And yet, where is the U.S. peace movement? I see a European. I'm starting to see countries backlash against NATO. But in the States, are we party before principles? Where's our peace movement? Is it because they're Democrats? It's a noble war? I imagine if this was Trump or Bush, people would be on the streets. Where do we go from here? Well, first of all, let me say I think you're absolutely right. If this was a Republican administration doing this very same thing today, sending weapons, U.S. has already sent $140 billion, that's with a B, $140 billion. The U.S. blew up the Nord Stream pipeline that was delivering, was going to deliver. It had not been turned on yet officially. But it was all finished. It was going to deliver natural gas from Russia to northern Germany. Germany would then distribute it throughout Europe. Um, Biden blew it up. P Pulitzer Prize journalist uh, Seymour Hersh wrote a story about it, and uh, it got ignored by the mainstream media. But anyway, uh, here in Maine, where I live, just like most of the rest of the country, the peace movement is extremely divided. We see major, major uh, national groups with chapters in the state of Maine will not go near uh, this issue. They will not discuss it whatsoever. And I saw the same thing during Yugoslavia in the early 90s when the U.S. and NATO uh, broke Yugoslavia up into smaller pieces. The United States bombed the living hell out of Belgrade, would use depleted uranium weapons at the time. Bill Clinton was in office. I was, or, I was an organizer in Florida at the time in the peace movement. Couldn't get people to come out on the streets and protest. But when George W. Bush was president, 
or when uh, Donald Trump was president, then it was easy to get quote-unquote Democrats, loyal Democrats, to come out on the street and protest anything that those presidents did. So I believe it is true indeed that many of the people that's, that proclaim that they're peace activists put their party first, their Democratic Party first, before anything else. And when their party's in power, they stand back and they let their party do whatever they want because to them... The most important thing is to ensure the domination of their party. But I want to ask this question. Every war that the United States has been in in the last 20, 30 years has been about resources, right? Oil, natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. Can't we see that this is just one more resource war? The United States is trying to take the resources of Russia and it's using Ukraine as a tool, as a proxy, as a weapon against Russia. Don't people see that clearly? Absolutely. And are we willing to risk nuclear annihilation over a tiny strip of land in eastern Ukraine that's mostly Russian, pro-Russian speaking people? Every single day we're getting closer and closer and people seem to kind of bury their heads in the sand what will it take uh, to have peace? And before you answer that question, I asked a fellow at the gym, I said, what will happen if Russia actually starts losing and they actually start incursions into Russia and they're backed in a corner? What happens then? Has anyone given any thought to the fact that if you push a nuclear power into a corner, um, terrible things might happen? Well, that's a good question. And uh, at this moment, England has sent depleted uranium shells t for tanks. First they sent tanks, and then they're sending depleted uranium shells. These are nuclear weapons. And they've also just sent cruise missiles that have now been used uh, in the last several days against uh, the city of Donetsk, one of the cities of eastern Ukraine, uh, former Eastern Ukraine. It's now become, they voted and became part of Russia. Also, it's not when, if uh, Russia is attacked, it's been going on for uh, quite a while now, uh, constantly. Ukraine has a big border with Russia. Uh, there are sections of really rural uh, Russia that are constantly being attacked. Ukraine sends in uh, reconnaissance terrorist teams basically they go in and they blow up things inside of these very rural parts of russia killing people blowing up uh you know various uh t targets not military targets at all but civilian targets and uh and then just in the last uh, week or so the two uh, drones were sent to attack the kremlin russia shot them out of the sky uh, but you know so these attacks are already underway but at some point in time, yes, it's a legitimate question to ask. Does Russia finally say, you know, it's the United States, it's the U.K., it's Germany, etc., that are providing these guys, these Ukrainian terrorists, all, all of these weapons? At what point do, does Russia say, we're going to have to uh, uh, really hit the source of this terrorism that's coming at our country. Absolutely, and every day, um, think about one mistake, one uh, disgruntled pilot, one, <laughs> one soldier who looks at all those weapons lined up in the Polish border and decides enough's enough, we're gonna go further. And uh, 
you know, there's big nuclear power plants all over Europe that are easy targets. There's all kinds of chaos that can unfold. And this is a very dangerous game. Make your pitch for peace for the people who uh, think that uh, there should be no compromise. The people who think that we're going to defeat Russia. You know, af after 20 years in Afghanistan, you know, look what happened. They really think we're going to be defeating Russia. What is the best route for peace? Is it both sides giving up something? Um, yeah. What is your pitch to peace for the people who are still on the fence? Well, first of all, I want to say when my country is spending 100, has already sent $140 billion to Ukraine, Seymour Hersh, in another story he did recently, he said that Zelensky and his cronies have already raked off $400 million off that into their own pockets. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but we have big problems in our country, as Canada does as well as all the European countries do right now. And they're wasting all of this money that should be going to deal with our own internal problems. So that's number one. And number two, yeah, I've been a peace activist since uh, I was in the Air Force during the Vietnam War. That's where I became a peace activist. And I've been one, that was 1971. So I've been one ever since. And you know, I'm an American citizen. And so I first look at what is my country doing. And it's what I do every day. It's what I know. I, I, and I know, uh, I know everything the United States is doing practically all over this planet. And it's not good. And so I have an obligation as an as a American citizen to stand up against what my own government is doing. And I think it's the same for Canadians or Germans or anybody else. Look at what your own country is doing and, and call them out on it. Uh, but I think one of the problems we have is getting around the mainstream uh, lies, the, the mainstream narratives, the corporate narratives. I mean, don't we know that the corporate media is linked to the military-industrial complex, to Wall Street? You know, they only trot out the stories that benefit those uh, those corrupt entities. So we've got to get uh, people looking at alternative news. One one really good source is Consortium News. It's a really good uh, website with uh, excellent journalism. Uh, I, I refer people to my blog, Organizing Notes, N-O-T-E-S, where every day I'm posting things from all over the world about movements for peace. There are people doing good peace work around the world, interviews, uh, stories about what's happening inside Ukraine. I just did a posted yesterday one called History Lesson. The war began long before 2022, and I show a uh, 2018 video. Now, again, remember, this is four years, 2018, four years ago, before uh, this uh, Russian special military operation began. And it's a story, of, it's a video about people being shelled in the Donbass by the Ukrainian government. So go and take a look at that yourself and see for yourself uh, what the story is. So, you know, you, if, you know, let's don't be intellectually lazy and just swallow the lies that come from the corporate media. Let's go and find the truth. Now, I, I know for a fact that a lot of people are afraid to face the truth because they're afraid of being called Putinistas. They're afraid of being rejected by family and friends, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, as you say, we're facing nuclear war. We're facing World War III. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you have relatives? 
Do you, do you love the nature on the planet Earth? You know, is there anything that uh, is that can motivate you to want to protect life on this planet uh, that would be completely decimated if we allow this thing to keep going the way it is? And now, on top of all that, the United States is determining that it's going to go after China and use Taiwan the same way they're using Ukraine today as a tool to create a war with China. So how does the United States and its allies think that they can fight two nuclear powers at the same time? I mean, it's pure insanity. So people, you know, take a visit, take a trip to the Wizard of Oz and find a heart and some courage and help stop this terrible, terrible uh, war that's coming our way if we don't do anything. Well said, Bruce, and I wanted to thank you for your long service to the cause of peace and a more just and humane and peaceful world, and uh, I thank you for your time today. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios, and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com.